welcome to Music She Missed, the podcast where I try to get my best friend caught up with some of the most popular songs and artists that impact our lives. I'm Allison. Hey, I'm Rachel and I missed all the music. Yes, you did. And Rachel, welcome back to another week. Yes, another week, another season, episode two. Yeah. You know, uh... I usually like to ask you silly questions to connect you to the music, but today I just want to know, how are you feeling? I'm actually feeling great physically. Really? Yeah. I'm actually doing okay right now. (laughs) Okay. Good. Our next artist. What? (laughs) It's usually something silly. So I'm like, here it is. There's the drum roll. (laughs) It's just that our artist for this week is also feeling good. Huh. Okay. Congratulations to them. Okay. That's not ringing a bell. Nope. Birds flying high. You know how (laughs) I feel. No? Shortest intro ever. (laughs) Very short. So are you going to just do the reveal? Yeah, why not? Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yep, here we go. All right, ready, drum roll. Digga, 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 digga. Nina Simone. All right, you're right. I don't know who this is. Really? I don't know why I'm surprised every time, but every time I'm just like, what? How am I supposed to know who she is and how is she doing good? Well, she one of her most famous songs is called Feeling Good. But Nina Simone was a recording artist over, I don't know, five decades. And <laughs> she is known as the high priestess of soul. And she is an amazing pianist and singer and songwriter and activist and is uh, really 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 famous but she is um basically one of the most influential musicians of all time and really? uh, yes and one of my all-time favorite songs is by her. She has a lot of really great songs. Some are covers. Some are her own compositions. And I think you'll recognize some of the covers that are on the playlist. Okay, so um, would you rate your current knowledge of Nina uh, Simone? No, no, no. Give me some titles of her songs. Okay. Let me see. Some of her most famous songs... Um, cover of my baby just cares for me pass i put a spell on you oh you know that one Mm, i think so well well, that'll be cool to find out uh uh, she covered strange fruit Uh, pass she has a song called four women pass Sinner Man. Pass. I want a little sugar in my bowl. I, I, I'm not sure why we're doing this. 
yeah, I, I would say the um, I put a spell on you is the only song I think I may have recognized. Well, regardless, we have a super awesome guest host who cannot oh, cool. to share her love of Nina Simone. Do you want to know who guest host? One of our favorite guest hosts from last season is coming back. It's my friend Jessa. Oh, the Lizzo chick. That's awesome. I like <laughs> well, Jessa really likes Nina Simone. And she is super excited to share this music with you, as am I, because I also love her. And you're going to have a great week listening to Nina Simone every day, this hour-long playlist. And when you come back, we'll talk about it. Yes, we will. For our audience, if you want to listen along to the Nina Simone playlist, you can check it out by searching for Spotify colon user colon music she missed rachel do your homework and i'll see you in a week and audience will be back with you in just a moment welcome back rachel you spent the last week listening to the high priestess of soul Nina Simone. I did. Before we talk about how it went, though, let's give a welcome to our guest host for this week, my friend Jessa. Oh my gosh, guys. I feel so cool. I, <laughs> when that first time I came on, I was like, my whole family, I was like, you guys, I was on a podcast. I'm a really big deal. And then I just came back from visiting my parents and I was like, you guys, I got to get back home. I'm doing another podcast. So I just thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to feel more important than I am. So I'm honored. So so honored. We're really glad that you're here. So Rachel, um, what was your first impression? My first impression, as I was trying to like hum along with some of the songs, mm-hmm. man, it can go low, like yeah. low. <laughs> Where I um as a female singer, I could not go that low. And I'm just like, woo. She definitely has a unique voice. You hear it, you know it's her. Yeah. And what a week to listen to Nina Simone too. But yeah, I hear that. Her, yeah, her voice is really, really unique. Uh, for our audience that's just now listening and doesn't know when it is, it's two days after the 2020 election results have come out. Good, good time to listen to some soulful music. Yeah, a really good time for soulful music. Yes. And to see one more step in the direction that she was singing and fighting for. Yes, although I'm sure she would be very, yes, I'm sure she'd have a lot of thoughts about this year, but yes, yes. <laughs> I would imagine so. So Rachel, you said that you um, had difficulty singing along because of your different ranges, but what did you think about the music? What struck you? What struck me is that when you first told me about Nina Simone on part A, you were, you know, talking about the song Feeling Good, Mm -hmm. and then you kind of didn't even mention that 
she's from Porgy and Bess and that's George Gershwin. And I love Broadway musicals and I can, you know, talk about Broadway musicals, but I can't talk about, you know, regular uh, music, the Beatles or <laughs> I don't know. So you already, you already knew Porgy and Bess, which is obviously a very famous show. Um, yes. And I actually sang along that song and I was like, yeah, this, I know this person. I'm excited. Um, Jessa, yeah. what do you have to, to throw out there about Porgy and Bess? Well, uh, yeah, that cover of that song is amazing. It's, I was actually just talking to my mom about it because I was with her and um, we were just talking about that. It's an awesome musical, and but there's something about that song when she covers that song where it's not about the stage, it's much more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've always, I've heard lots of her covers of the song and, and, and also I'm a musical lover like you, Rachel, but um yeah, there's something about her cover that just sounds, um, yeah, much more personal and quiet and still. And mm-hmm. also she, all of her music, she, so she was classically trained to be a pianist. She was groomed and in her goal, goal was to be the first African-American classically trained pianist. And so everything you listen to, all of that piano work, that's all her. That was her first. She never trained to sing. She she did it because she was trying to make money and she got a job at a bar and they said, oh, you're going to have to sing too. And she was like, okay. But yeah, so Gershwin, Cole Porter, I mean, she, her, she always talks about how her first love was Bach. And, um, but her music that she really loved, I mean, she had a huge, lot of influences, but um, she g- grew up uh, with a lot of uh, classical music, but yeah. Gershwin and that was one thing that kind of um, got people's attention was she was blending kind of taking music that um, and putting into adding rhythm and blues to these more kind of traditional or um, classical songs so she kind of blended a lot of different styles jazz and rhythm and blues and and um, even her classical influence was a huge deal but yeah I know I love that I love that version that's actually a great um Rachel, that's a great way to segue into your first question about who is this person, right? Let's talk about her history. Let's talk about why we're talking about her. Yeah. So, cause she's, she's, well, I'm not, you know, I mentioned, so basically she grew up in a small, small town, North Carolina. She was born in 1933. Um, of course, I didn't know that when I was l- listening to Nina Simone for many years until, uh, but you guys um, encouraged me to find out more and I've loved finding out her a story, at least as a ch- her childhood, her mother was a Methodist preacher, which is really interesting. She also cleaned houses, and um, but her whole family was all musical oriented. But she was like playing the church organ by the age of five, and then like when she was seven, two white women came to the church service and saw her playing the piano, and were like, "We are going." They felt it their duty to uh, help uh, groom her. And so she had her whole community, uh, black and white, in this small North Carolina town behind her, supporting her. Um, they raised money so that she could attend Juilliard, but she was only oh. able to attend a year. The money ran out, and she applied for a scholarship to get into um, the Curtis Institute, um, which was, I guess, has a huge classical music program. And it, and she was t- turned away because of her race, and so that for her she talked to the end of her life about that being a 
because again, she went on to become Nina Simone and, and, you know, if, if they hadn't rejected her, then we wouldn't have had this kind of really unique um, blend of music that she kind of created and, and the way she, she sang songs. But at the same time, she, I think she thought was always a heartbreak that she never quite recovered from because she didn't get to pursue that, dr that dream of, be of being the first. Yeah, Rachel, you often want to know if uh, musical artists have have been classically trained. I do. I, I like answering that question repeatedly uh, through a lot of the artists that we go through. So um, that's really cool to hear that Nina Simone um, was. And honestly, um, even listening to her for the first day, first hour, I could tell because um, I too am, have been classically trained um, pianist. Yeah, so. I remember that. I remember thinking having heard that being a, a listener um yeah. rachel yeah. So i watched the documentary on netflix about her and it said that she practiced eight hours a day that sounds about right for her skill level like um <laughs> she's uh pretty much rocking it and uh she makes that piano her boss so yeah i mean she was i think very much a prodigy as a kid a child you know and yeah, she's the boss of the piano. Is that what you mean? That's what I meant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a long day. <laughs> then it's a different way. It becomes inappropriate for our podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, Rachel, do you have another question about her? I could tell, like, as you were telling a little bit of her early years and things like that, um, that it was very influential to her and her life. Um, but it seems that not only that one specific with Curtis Institute um, was troubling with her. It seems like she struggled uh, more troubling in emotions and somewhat dark stuff and that she chose to use music to work it out. Um, but I think one of my bigger questions out of that is that she did she write much of her music lyrics and instrumental stuff in the sense of, is that how she worked out her troubles through the music or was someone else writing the lyrics? And she would just, oh, hear it and say, boom, I want that. That's me. I'm going to make that my beat. And right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really good question. Jessa, what is your response to that? I mean, I think m mostly she, she wrote, there are some of her own ly original lyrics, but for the most part, she, she worked with and collaborated with a lot of lyricists and also covered, you know, really well-known songs. And then because so much of her background was in the piano and music too, she would cover songs and add her own blend that would make them, you know, unique to her. Also, of course, just her own voice. But I don't know, listening just over the last day or two and stuff, I definitely think um, it there, like I said, there she collaborated some a lot of her original songs. She worked with somebody else, but I would say it was she was not famous for her 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 skills as a lyricist. Um, not that she didn't write and some of her really big standout ones like Young, Gifted, and Black, and um, a lot of the ones that were connected to the civil rights movement that she, that she wrote. Right. And I think that is. I do think that that is one thing that. It, she really was so heartbroken and, and she, who she became 
her pop culture identity and, and she became a successful artist in the R&B world. But it was really when she became part of the movement, the civil rights movement in the 60s, that she did start to write some of her own stuff and really was driven and found a lot of great passion and joy in that. But then also, of course, then there was a lot of heartache. Um, and she was bipolar. And so that, mm. not that she even knew it for a long time, but yeah, absolutely. She had a big nervous breakdown and her marriage fell apart mm. in the end of the sixties and she ended up moving away and never coming back to the state. She lived in um, Liberia, Liberia. Uh-huh. She spent a lot of time there and, um, and then in the last chunk of her life was in southern uh, France but yeah she definitely had a lot of her own demons was kind of notorious for being kind of for notorious for being difficult just Mm -hmm. kind of one of those kind of classic you know musical genius but who had a lot of her own demons and and struggles and also a lot of what you hear in her voice and those songs from the civil rights movement I think were very much appropriate anger and <laughs> yeah. um yeah um yeah I wouldn't categorize those as necessarily dark but I totally hear what you're talking about Rachel and her voice as well so yes you you got a good read on her yeah um so you said she was married and um her marriage um didn't work out um did she ever have kids she did she had a daughter Lisa who yeah and they who sang with her on stage many times oh, cool. um at one point, yeah, Lisa, after the marriage and fell apart, and at some point when Nina was in Africa living in Liberia, I know her daughter did come and live with her, but unfortunately it was really rocky, and mm-hmm. and and it didn't work out, and she had to go back to her family in the States, and actually at one point, she was totally off the grid, and playing like in concerts in Switzerland and in Europe, like totally underpaid she really had a resurgence like in the 1980s and and even still now and it was friends in the music community in the jazz and music community that pulled her back out of um uh what's the word kind of out of uh, not like an early retirement but she was almost almost like a hermitage yeah like reclusive reclusive, yeah because it was because because of her disease and it wasn't she didn't have support And so it was friends who kind of made sure that helped her kind of regain her footing as an artist and, and she, and, and helped her with finding medication that helped her find some balance, but you can hear in her later interviews, you know, that she was still struggled. It would continue to be something she struggled, you know, live with. Yeah. Also, Rachel, you asked about her husband. Um, When she married him, he became her manager Right. And really like pushed her to the point where she was playing so much recording, touring that it just kind of almost made her like hate music, right? Like this is the only thing that she has and it's just like over, oh, like way, way, way too much. I almost see her life as like kind of like a roller coaster where it like comes up in this fame, but then it like, she just gets like burned out, right? And the civil rights stuff, um, is very good and famous, but also at the time, very like polarizing, right? It wasn't what the mass appeal like was. And so, and then like the recluse, but then coming back for the second wave, right? Of her fame and success. That's kind of, I don't know, Jess, if you agree with my little, like a, like an M. No, definitely. I think that at the end of the day, she just was somebody who 
did not want and because even again I listened to some later interviews and she uh just even still she felt like uh didn't trust studios recording studios and she felt like black artists even now in present day were being treated were being forced to look a certain way and sound a certain way and I think when she had her breakdown and when she did kind of disappear I think um she was just yeah done with being handled and being told how to sound and how to be and um and I think when she was allowed to be who she was that's when the her best stuff you know and, and she talks about how she was the most important thing to her was her music and how that was she was the most comfortable but she was unpredictable on the stage you know people never knew if she was gonna sing she didn't care what they wanted to hear she was gonna sing what she wanted to sing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um anyway so definitely tortured in her own way but you know it's just one of those artists who you're kind of like well geniuses are geniuses for a reason and she had I think a uh, and so, yeah, it's really interesting to think of what she may have gone on to create if she had had a more stable environment or, you know, mm. more support, I guess, from her uh, producers and stuff. But yeah, and also bipolar back in the 50s and 60s, that's, you know, not a topic that totally. was over discussed. And it was something that was, um, they just didn't know a lot back then. Um, and even today, um, I think uh, medical science is still learning a lot about the brain and um, like that. So definitely. Yeah, I think there's still stigma. And I well, I mean, there is still stigma for sure. But yeah, like I said, I don't think she even knew really that that's what it was, you know, until much later in life when, like I said, friends kind of stepped in and helped her um, find a doctor and, and the medication that would work and allow her to do what she wanted to do, which was you know, live and sing, and, um, but yeah, um, but, but such a resurgence, I mean, her music was used in, like, basically commercials and stuff, and then people were like, who's this, because, you know, when you hear her voice, you're like, who is this, it's different, and yet striking, and you're just like, you can't miss her. That's a pretty good summary of her life, I would say, I mean, in very broad, very broad strokes Though we did we talked about the civil rights a little bit but just so okay. you know Rachel like she knew Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and like she neighbors. was she was and, neighbors with Malcolm X Malcolm X's and his family their kids grew up next door and yeah neighbors. yeah so she was running in like the elite circles of African-Americans of that time of the intellectuals of the activists that was her crowd. Yeah, um, Lorraine Hansberry, you know, so Lorraine Hansberry was the, you know, she's a young playwright and she wrote a play called Young, Gifted, and Black. And then that was kind of what inspired her song. But um, she was the godmother to Nina Simone's daughter. And um, but I was listening to Young, Gifted, and Black today and I thought, even if this song came out now, it's so appropriate and an awesome song, but there would still be people who would be like, I'm a little uncomfortable and so at that time like and it's yeah for her I mean it was what an awesome and empowering song kind of like listening to her and studying her a bit today it's like there was such momentum for Black America in the 60s that heartbreakingly did die I mean with the death of MLK and Mm -hmm. anyways it was interesting how 
revisiting her life and her music in preparation for this kind of also just was in a way also holding a telescope to uh, that movement and, and thinking about it now and stuff. So anyways, but yeah, definitely. Uh, she was, it was a huge thing for her. And like I said, I think, and I'm, I'm totally ripping this from guys, by the way, I listened to BBC's, they do, they have a podcast called Great Stories. Anyways, there was a really great one of Nina Simone where people pick up concert pianist chose to talk about her and they talked about how her her life's direction was to become this concert pianist the first black concert pianist right and that was her trajectory and it was her goal and it was what she wanted and when that happened when she was rejected that she was kind of like bouncing along and things just kind of you know and but that the civil rights movement gave her for the first time a real passion and drive that it replaced that it gave her something new and then i think it was her own personal illness that really was the next brick wall that kind of caused her to get lost again for a bit but anyways so rachel i'm really curious um what songs um or lyrics um jumped out at you i don't know if you want to just if we want to start talking about the music what you liked what you didn't like and get into that conversation yeah, um, I mentioned before about her low voice, but there's a smoothness in her, um, and specifically um, at Feeling Good. I really enjoyed that song for the smoothness to it, where mm-hmm. it just keeps you smooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. Um, you can hear yeah. her heart. You can hear her passion. Um, mm-hmm. You can hear her longing. Um to love somebody um, is another one. Um, and of course, I love you, Porgy. Um, I remember actually studying um, that song and that um, um, George Gershwin and things like that back in, I think, fourth, fifth grade, maybe middle schoolish time period. Um, and so um, that kind of brought back some good memories. Yeah. So you felt like her perform like her delivery her performance is something that you felt like a connection to um I wouldn't say um her live pieces I wasn't a biggest fan of her live pieces but I was more a fan of her um studio pieces where there was I felt the more studio ones where it felt like I was sitting there with her in the room by ourselves talking and she was just sharing her heart where it was more of an intimacy um, kind of conversation where mm-hmm. the light stuff, I felt um, she was still sharing, but there was um, a liveness to, I guess. And honestly, I don't like live music anyways. And so I think that might be a little bit me. Um, I just don't like live music. I have a question about that. Is it because the audience noises are distracting you? That does change the songs. And I think okay. Also, when when the artist knows that there's an audience out there, I feel like they perform differently. Um, and sometimes, in my perspective, I think sometimes the song that they're singing may not be perfect because it may not be studio perfect when I want that studio perfect sound, I guess. Interesting. No, I know what you mean. It's like you're like, you're in the con you're in there and you're like singing along and all of a sudden they go on some riff and you're like, wait a minute, this is different from 
the version I've sang in my car or in the shower 20 times and and yeah yeah so I know I do know what you mean about that and like I said she was kind of unpredictable in her concerts and this one podcast so when I was listening to this podcast of this concert pianist who was talking about her and how she got to see her in concert she didn't get to see her in concert at one point in like the 80s it was like a surprise birthday or something anyways and she talked about how Nina Simone was almost scary she said she was regal but everybody just and she was in the front row and she said that she, the way she looked out at the audience when she came in, there's a part of you that's like excited, but also like fearful. You're just kind of like, I don't know. And I think it is the way she was that made her difficult to people. Uh, I also heard uh, someone say they, uh, some interviewer talking about how they didn't like her, that her, her shoulders were too square and she was, her chest was too proud or something like that. Cause she just was so much herself, you know, and, and that she would take over concerts and even, and just would challenge the audience that she would take long silences in the middle of songs. And yeah, that would freak me out <laughs> if I was like used to listening to a certain version. And then all of a sudden there's this long pause. I'd be like, what, what, what's happening? But she was like that. She challenged her audiences and tested them. And I think probably that came a lot from her love of, I would think maybe jazz or maybe, I don't know. I don't have any classical background, but I feel like classical music challenges the audience to try harder in regards to like, listen, listen more, pay more attention. Jess, I, I want to say, I agree. I agree with you in that challenge. I think that that's the right word. And I, I think that that'd be a good word to describe her overall, whether it's her political views or the music right? I think that she demanded attention. It's not background music, right? She's like, I'm going to tell you something here and you need to listen to it. And I think that that's a really um, astute way of describing her demeanor on stage. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I don't think she was a, I don't think she cared about sounding pretty, like her voice, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? She really had a voice that was very raw. And I mean, she knew how to use it no problem because she was a musician and she knew how to work it but I don't I just don't think that was a priority I mean she could sound very beautiful but she could also sound it could be her voice could become jarring or rough you know I don't know it's just that and I think that's um probably why she did she's not super mainstream really I I was talking to my dad about this because when I was telling him I was doing Nina Simone he got me the two disc like for her birthday when I was in high school and I'd never heard of her, but I immediately felt cool. I was like, I don't know who this person is, but I can tell only cool people listen to her because I don't, I didn't listen to a lot of jazz and I, I just was a lazy music lover pretty much for the most part. <laughs> and when I, I worked <laughs> at you, I remember I had a guy who worked with me who did not like me as an employee, but he saw, saw me listening to Nina Simone in my disc man guys. And he, he looked at me differently after that. He was like, okay, all right. I may be underestimating you. <laughs> I actually had a, um, my exposure to her was all through dance. Uh-huh. A dancer and a blues dancer. And it took me a while to piece together all the songs that I had heard separately, right? Mm-hmm. Put them together into this one person and then learn about her life and her story. Um. Because like what you said, she isn't somebody who, for many people, immediately brings to mind 
a, a certain um, story or a certain song. Right. But once you know, Rachel, then you know, you can't unknow. You're stuck now. <laughs> you know who Nina Simone is now. Um, was that her stage name or her birth name? That was her stage name. Again, ah. I didn't know before this podcast, but I can tell you now, which is that Nina was from a, some a boyfriend she had who called her that. She and it means little one in Spanish. You probably know that. And then, um, and then Simone was after a French actress that she loved. Um, but yeah, because her mother was a Methodist preacher, especially, um, that was really important when she started. She and again, she went out to finding music gigs to make money because her whole family had kind of moved up north to be closer to her um, when she went got into Juilliard. And then all of a sudden, her dreams of becoming this concert pianist didn't pan out. But she had, she was, um, she was the sixth child of eight, eight, eight siblings. And so, and so it was a big family. And uh, anyways, um, but yes, her mother being a religion, being a big, having a huge influence in their life um, and faith and everything. um, When she initially started singing in bars and stuff, it was like, oh, you're going to have to have a different name. What was her birth name? We've talked about that before, Rachel, that in that time period, the, the move from, um, church and like gospel music into pop music was like evil kind of you know so and by the way yeah. her uh, her birth name is Eunice Kathleen Wayman Eunice mm. Kathleen Wayman mm-hmm. and she you know it's funny because she was from the small town in North Carolina but I mentioned you know her the whole community really came together and wanted her to be successful both black and white and she she was tutored by this English woman that was living in this small town in North Carolina, but by a, a British woman who ended up there. And that seems like such kind of crazy fate because some, you know, that's small towns, families of simple means might have a prodigy growing up in there, but that, you know, that if you don't come across somebody who knows like this child is special, this is talent that is, right you know once in a lifetime you don't always come across the right people who know that you know and so that's kind of amazing that she lived in this small town in North Carolina and and, um was able to find people who you know saw her talent and lifted her up that's kind of cool yeah so Rachel what did you think about the music let uh let's start with the songs you did not like um Mississippi GD um (laughs) Just any, that song was very controversial. In fact, it was not uh, allowed to be played on the radio. Mm. Obvious reasons. People, yeah. they'd send the disc and people would like break it and send it back and stuff. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that song and what it what it's about? Um, for the most part, like, um, usually you tell me at the beginning of the, um, week hey you can listen to this with your family you know you didn't knowing, ask <laughs> I know I didn't ask but then once I started playing the song I was like wait a second because <laughs> my daughter is now repeating a lot of the songs and if I don't filter some of the songs you know obviously I don't want her saying GD <laughs> so <laughs> um, I had to listen to that song um, specifically on um, headphones but um yeah 
and did you so, not like it because of the language or the message or that it was live? What's going on there? I think it was a little bit of all of it. Um, so yeah. Jessa, any comments on that song? Well, I think um, I can totally understand that reaction. I think she wrote it very much to make people feel something because, and she was in such a rage. And I felt like this year, that song is so right on. I can absolutely understand that it it's, can make a person feel uncomfortable, but I think um, to take a moment and yeah, I mean, it, it was a song that, I, I mean, I love that song, but only because um, I feel like, only because it's like, what do you, how do you write a song in response to, you know, the Alabama church burning and uh, gosh, Egg, Evers, Meager Evers, I can't, I'm not saying his name right, but it was in response to his death and the girls, those four girls that were killed in the church. And, um, and it's like, what, what else do you sing? I know that you want to sing, of course, people will be like, oh, sing a lot. There's a lot of, of course, wonderful spirituals and gospels, of course, but like a real human visceral reaction to something like this, like a church being bombed and four little girls dying. And, and also not to mention like everything else that was happening in the South. Like I just, I love oh, wow. that song as a reaction to that. Like, I feel like it's so appropriate. And, and even the energy of the song is like frenetic. It's like this, it's, it's hot tempered. You know what I mean? It wow. feels, and yeah, what a bold, you know, I think about like, like nowadays, like, I'm like, what's a song that like, oh, the language is bad, so they can't play it on the radio, like the CeeLo song about, you know, <laughs> it's like, what's, what's the political, social relevance of that song? Nothing. You're like, what an appropriate song for that time and that feeling of, I think anytime a person hears a, of a tragedy and they go not to sadness, sorrow, but you know, that kind of, you just feel so mad, you know, and she had a daughter, a young girl at that point too. And anyway, so I just think, um, but I absolutely hear that. I think that that song is meant to be shocking, you know, it's meant to, you know, it almost feels like somebody's shaking you, you know, like, you know what I mean? You know, like they're grabbing you by the shoulders and they're just, Ugh. so yeah, yeah I hear that. She's definitely going through grief through the darkness in her life. And uh, she's definitely stepping on that stage of anger and kind of parks herself right there <laughs> and yeah. says, you know what? Come Not join to me. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and again, I think that's for that and, and cool, cool for the movement to have a voice, to have somebody to sing, to sing those songs that, can say you know that that is exactly what I'm feeling so I yeah I, I agree and also brave because I mean you know you see so much of a black America so angry right now especially in the summertime in response to so many things and 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 um back then being angry and expressing that angry that anger out loud so publicly that was you know that was risky that was risky risky to do that too but I think she had all these peers and friends and who were going down south and participating in these protests so it was a way for her to really really be involved so yeah yeah it was her yeah. it was her type of activism Rachel what's another song that you didn't like 
I also felt that not only was the events in Mississippi and the um, four girls and things like that were spurring on, but this gave her permission to really release her personality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I, I saw that in that song. Um, and another one, um, Ain't Got No, um, I Got No Life. Um, mm-hmm. I do, there was a part that I do like the aspect that that song was remastered and where you can even hear the smoothness of her voice even smoother through the remastering. And so um, I'm kind of curious of that song when it first initially came out. Um, and so even though I put that in the dislike pile, um, I would still want to try to find to see the unmastered song. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Just kind of of her voice in that one. Yeah, there's a lot of her songs I'm like, I want to know the story because I, I don't know all the ones. I know some of them as covers and um and, and yeah, the different versions that some of her versions were, became famous at a certain concert or a certain recording. Right. I don't know that any kind of the any of the recording stories for that one ain't got no, but um like I looked up Sinner Man because I'm like, what is the story to Sinner Man? Because I've heard other covers as well but I love hers the most and and what she does with it on her piano is awesome so awesome in that and um it's a spiritual which that was another huge influence a lot of gospel and spirituals and that's an old spiritual um that she did and so I yeah Rachel I'm and I don't ever I rarely think like what's the story to this song but um she has so many different kinds of songs you know poor I love you porgy from a Gershwin musical and Sinner Man is, is an old slave spiritual. And um, so, and then she even has some like kind of songs like classically um, children's songs that she kind of covered later. It's, she's just, yeah, it's very interesting. And a wide, a wide range, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. One of the um, parts of this song that really kind of the lyrics stepped out kind of reminded me of that one, reminds me of Steve Martin. Um, and he's singing all of me, just not what, not take all of me. I don't know why it made me think of Steve Martin. And so I was wondering if she'd ever collaborated with him. (laughs) I want to mark this moment in time as um, the first time any human being has compared Nina Simone to Steve Martin. (laughs) Yes. Maybe not. I mean, I definitely get the vibe from him that he's a little kind of quirky and different and unpredictable. So I I bet they would have a, if they were invited to the same like house party or not house party, um, whining, I think if they were, they would have a good time over cocktails. I have no doubt that they would enjoy each other's company. (laughs) Rachel, give me one more song in your dislike pile. Um, I want a little sugar in my bowl. Oh, I love that song so much. So, I had this in the dislike pile for probably a good half a week. Mm-hmm. And then it traveled to the like pile. So, mm-hmm. as you are asking what is in my dislike pile, that one was in my dislike pile. But then it traveled to my like pile. Why? <laughs> um, I just liked how she delivered it. Um. I just liked her voice. I liked a little bit of her lyrics. I liked a lot about of it. Um, I like a little sugar in my bowl. I like sugar in my bowl. Yeah, <laughs> Nina, talking my language. Yeah, who doesn't? Come on. 
<laughs> okay. That's awesome. I, but see, that's kind of what I mean. I don't think the, she's not, her songs grow on you. I mean, yeah. Uh, again, the first time I, I, when I first got, had never heard of her, first got this CD, um, had never, I was like looking for songs I would recognize because I had, I, I think my dad got it for me because I really like had I went through a phase where I was really into um, the Unforgettable album with Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole mm. duets. And then also, I don't know, anyways, I kind of was into like Aretha Franklin for a while and stuff, but um, I was like, I don't recognize these songs, you know? And I'm like, huh? But then it became this like perfect thing to listen to when it was raining outside. Or It's good for stillness. It really is. And um also like quiet drives and stuff but I do think her song eventually I think a lot of her songs the first time you hear it start on people's dislikes but slowly travel to the like <laughs> not a lot maybe but I, I definitely think for people who are hearing her the first couple of times I can see that yeah that's it's- why I make Rachel listen to everything seven times <laughs> because because familiarity helps grow that understanding and that connection right yeah rarely do you meet someone and fall in love with them right away but you get to know them and I think the same thing is true for a song yeah yeah but Rachel's a good friend still though because there's a lot of songs I would not listen to seven times We're going into season six. This shows you how much I really, truly love Allison. <laughs> you don't have to do this show. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you keep coming back for more. All right. So what are the songs that you like? What makes you want to keep doing this show? <laughs> I love you, Allison. That's why. <laughs> I love you too. Um, yeah. I had a lot of fun with Nina Simone. Um if you're ready for my rating, I'll give it to you. No, because you haven't talked about the songs that you liked yet. I did. I said feeling good. Yeah. I wish I could feel to be free to love somebody. And then I mentioned Porgy and Bess. Yeah. She talked about them at the beginning. Oh, you just kind of sprinkled them throughout the show. I did. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to say, Rachel, there are a lot of songs I actually after Jessa sent me this playlist I was very upset that like several of my favorite Nina Simone songs were not on the playlist and I reached out to Jessa and I was like we need to change this playlist and then as I was looking at it I was like we can't because if we put on this this song I like then we have to take off you know a different one right and I realized there was so much and so if you want to hear my favorite Nina Simone playlist, which is totally different, um, <laughs> we can. Not totally different. There's some overlap. I just wanted to say that there's like a lot more out there because she had 40 albums. Right. I thought she had only six. Oh. She has only six here in that list that we have. One, two. What? Well, that's four, five. Those are the songs that made it onto the... It's like from a greatest hits album, right, Jessa? Yeah, I I listened to the playlist today and I was like, oh man, like some of the recordings, like one of them is really long. And I, 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 I made it, oh man, it feels like a lifetime ago when I made that list because it was, you know, how, you know, how this year is. It's like a few, few weeks. It's like a few months. And (laughs) um, yeah, a lot of the songs um, I put 
yeah, there's so many songs. Like one song, um, like I mentioned when I first listened to her ever and I had this CD and I was looking for something I recognized. One of the first ones that I recognized was I think it's gonna going to rain today, which is from the Beaches album, y'all, as in Beaches, Bette Midler, Barbara Hershey, come on. And um, I was like, hey, this is from Beaches. <laughs> and uh, anyways, but... Focus, um, huh? focus, chick? Yes, hocus pocus chick. <laughs> Allie. Uh, Rachel, you are a Broadway girl. You got to know Bette Midler more than hocus pocus. I but, know. She, she likes her sweatpants too. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, there's a lot more. And I probably would, because I've been listening to her, I probably would totally change some stuff. Like you mentioned one, um, My Baby Don't Love Me. Uh, my baby just cares for me. Oh, yeah. It's one of my yeah, favorites. Um, I like me. Right. Yeah. She did a lot of um, covers too, Rachel. So actually, as we cover more artists, you'll be able to hear songs that Nina Simone covered that other artists we've covered have done. Mr. Bojangles is also a cover. I mean, there's hmm. a lot of covers on this list. That's cool. But knowing that you have a piano background... I wish that I was, I wish I knew somebody who was like a piano player and a Nina Simone fan, like a, pian, a classical pianist who could be like, oh, Rachel, she would probably make a totally different playlist for you. I, <laughs> she'd probably be so mad at me. She'd probably be like, ah, don't listen to this dumb dumb. She didn't know what she's talking about. Cause it's, I don't. <laughs> I did. Anyway, it. so. It's uh, it's 19 studio albums and 14 live albums. So if you just want that studio stuff, Rachel, it's out there. <laughs> yeah but you said you were ready to rate i am well let's do it on a scale of one to ten. Oh gosh uh one being nina simone gd you don't like it and 10 being <laughs> um you don't just want a little sugar sugar in your bowl you want to overflow the bowl with sugar. <laughs> These are not my best ones. Where would you rate the likelihood that he would listen to Nina Simone again? So as I said, we are going into season six and my rating will be different. Yeah. Um, oh, just a so bad FYI. Um, so Rachel don't. decided to be real hard on ratings this season. Ooh, she okay. told us after the season started, so. Wow. Okay. Yes. That's all right. All right. So you will not change who the guest hosts are, your order, or your music artist selection. Keep flowing with it. I'm going to give her um, a four or a three point five. Whoa. That is okay. Let's go with four. Okay. You gotta leave some space for the artist. Oh, Rachel, you do like. not accept that. If you, if you don't want to give her a four, you do not. Don't let Allie bully you, Rachel. Do not. I know. There's a lot that. of things that Allie bullies me about. She just is so mean. <laughs> also, not. You can't. If everything is rated well, then nothing is. So I respect that. I mean, um, I really do it. And. I'm just glad that if it wasn't for when Allie reached out, she's like, is there another artist? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, 
Nina Simone intimidates me. I'm intimidated liking her <laughs> because again, like I said, I don't really have a music background and I'm a lazy music listener and stuff, but, um, You're a great guest host, but yeah. whatever you're right, I'm really glad I got to do it because it just, I got to listen to her some more. I told Allie when she reached out, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was just crying over Nina Simone the other day. Like it's just on my way to work at a stoplight. I was listening to the I Love You Porgy, which is such a great still song. It's just her and her piano. And it's like, I was just at a stoplight. Like my clicker was to, to turn left was clicking, you know, it's just me and a stoplight and Nina Simone. And I don't know, some about a note. And I was just all of a sudden like, <laughs> this is good. I was probably very sleep deprived and, you know, stressed and I don't know, whatever. But so thank you, you for kids. giving me. We all know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> sleep ah that's for the young (laughs) not for us i'm pretty sure everybody was like that last week you're not alone (laughs) oh my god (laughs) well um jess i can't thank you enough for coming back on the show and sharing your love for this incredible artist with rachel and rachel thanks for giving nina simone like a real chance and finding things in there to love even though it may not be your thing yeah um jessa we're we love having you. You need to keep coming back. I know you say music's not your thing, girl, you're going to need to make it your thing. So you can come back more and more and more and more. (laughs) I do feature y'all's playlist sometimes in my classroom now. Like some, I have the David Bowie one and over Gina Spector. Those are like go-tos when I want certain kind of music as the kids are coming into the room and stuff. And, um, I know anyway, so, um, I'm a, I love what you're doing. I, I'm jealous of you, Rachel, because I think it's such a great way to like be introduced to artists and stuff. All right. Well, if you are audience um, would like to follow along with Rachel's journey, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow this playlist and all the playlists on Spotify by searching for Spotify colon user colon music. She missed. And don't forget to subscribe and rate on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. You can say bye too, Dessa. Bye. <laughs>